Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The Tampa Bay Lightning overcame a 4-2 deficit in the third period. They beat the Columbus Blue Jackets 5-4 in overtime and they win that series Four games to one. Was it revenge or redemption? And how good is Braden Point with his two game-winning goals in overtime in this series? What can the Lightning take from this series to help them in the next round? Most likely, it appears to be maybe against Boston. We'll discuss all that and more with Diana Neros, who covers the Lightning for the Tampa Bay Times on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. And, uh, Steve, we'll get to Diana here and, and talk all about the Lightning's win over the Columbus Blue Jackets in a minute. Uh, but first, I was over at uh, the Bucks. It was raining. Um, it didn't rain for very long, but the Bucks were indoors on Wednesday, in part because of the weather and also, I think, because, as Bruce Arians said, they needed to get out of this heat. Um, Tom Brady, I have noticed this about him just in the short time I've observed his practices. He didn't really enjoy it. <laughs> he didn't enjoy the humidity at all. Well, let me ask um, you this. Do you? No. <laughs> I don't, and and given you know given the choice, uh, I think I'd rather be in Boston right now, where it's you know seventy five degrees, and where he spent his first twenty seasons. But he's going to have to learn how to deal with it, that's for sure. And um, you know he's one of these quarterbacks. Troy Aikman was like this too, and Brad Johnson in particular, where they don't want to be wet, right? I mean, they're quarterbacks; they're handling football all the time. And um, we talked to Ryan Jensen, his center. And one of the first conversations he ever had with Ryan Jensen, they talked for about two minutes on the phone, and and um, you know Brady got right to it, started saying, "Hey, I've got some, you know, I'm pretty pe- peculiar, particular about how him peculiar, but pretty particular about you know uh, wanting to keep the footballs dry and how we do that." And um, you know, my center, uh, a couple of things. One, uh, you can't wear a glove. And Jensen's like, what? Like, he, like, you know, Jensen always wore a glove on his right hand, which he snaps the ball with, which, you know, ultimately drags the ground as you're snapping it. Um, so to help protect your hand and stuff. Uh, and so he said, didn't want that. And then, and then he showed him, uh, once they got together at Berkeley Prep, sort of how he was going to fold a towel over us several times and tuck it essentially into Jensen's uh, pants so that when he came up to the line of scrimmage, He'd always have a, a dry side of a towel that he could wipe his hands with. And then finally, uh, and maybe not in this order, uh, he's a big uh, big baby, baby powder guy. Not for himself, but for the backside of the center, <laughs> which uh, we managed to see a lot of talcum being, being poured uh, in a certain area uh, during practice just the other day as it got more humid and wetter and wetter. So, yeah, these are the things that, you know, have made the goat the goat, right? Like – 
You know, it just doesn't happen without thought. I mean, who knew the secret ingredient was baby powder? It's talk. It's baby powder. Yes, that's Johnson and Johnson. Exactly right. Uh, and uh, speaking of Johnson, Brad Johnson used to. Uh, Brad Johnson was one of these guys that he couldn't stand himself or anybody else being uh, uh, wet, for that matter. And he would. He had like a. Brad had like a like, what would you call it? Uh, sort of a suitcase, if you will. Um, maybe smaller than that, where he would carry it onto the field, and it would include undershirt, another game jersey, sweatbands, uh, whatever he deemed that you know something that he wanted to change out of, like several times during the game. Like he did this not just at halftime, but like actually during the football game. He hated uh, the perspiration or, or the humidity or whatever it did to him because uh, he wanted to obviously keep the football as dry as possible, but. You know, hey, to each his own. You're not going to argue with success, right? And so, um, they were they've been going through that, and it, and so it helped that they were um, inside, not just to get away from the rain, which was at the beginning of practice, but but also kind of get out of that heat. And it was good work. It was all red zone work. Um, like I said, Brady came out and um, did a pretty good job of of carving them up, like in the, the first couple tar- tries. Uh, and then the defense, actually, I thought, sort of almost. I don't know if they won the day. Bruce Arians said it was kind of even. He thought it was split back and forth, but uh, um, but it was interesting. You know, there's a, there's a lot of weapons down in that red zone. The two tight ends. I mean, him and Gronkowski are on another, another level. You know, when they run, you know, run the, the the skinny post or whatever a billion times, and and that ball is always, you know, their timing is impeccable. So that's hard to stop. And then you have you had OJ Howard. Um, you know. Mike Evans was mossing some guys out there. Uh, he mossed Mike Edwards uh, on one throw that, that Brady, you know, needs to. Uh, Brady didn't play with a lot of tall receivers. I mean, Randy Moss was maybe one of the tallest. But he's got a couple six foot five, six foot six guys. He's got to learn to throw that ball up high uh, for them and let them uh, go up and get it. And um, yeah, it was it was good work. But uh, but you know, again, the defense came back and we had a chance to talk to Devin White. He was on the Zoom call with us. And, you know, White had that slow start last year. So much was expected of him as a first-round pick. And then, you know, he had, uh, what, tonsillitis in the first game and managed to play and kind of gutted through that. Then he hurt his knee, and he missed a couple games. And um, they put a brace on him, which he just hated. He said, you know, he felt so hindered by that thing. Finally worked out of that. And, uh, you know, the last two months of the season, people forget, he was rookie, defensive rookie of the month for November and December. I mean, he made plays all over the place as their defense got better. So second year in the system, and you know you would you would expect him to uh, to be able to play even faster than he did in Todd Bowles' system the first year. Uh, and he said he's got a couple goals. Uh, his goals are uh, five interceptions, which he had one last season. Uh, he says he's never really been a big interception guy. Not that he can't catch, but he's um, you know he wants to be undercutting some routes and being in position to make more plays. And then uh, he hopes to have maybe five sacks. And I could see that. Um, you know, Bowles likes to bring pressure a lot, and he would be a guy that they could use in that situation. But, uh, you know, Devin White, Levante David, that front seven that was number one against the run a year ago with the young guys growing up on the back end. Um, you know, I'm telling you, Antoine Winfield Jr., that guy, he every practice he, he comes up with a football, whether he strips it out, um, makes an interception like he did, you know, on Wednesday. Um, he's He's been really great. Uh, so there's been a lot of, uh, you know, it's been good work out there. And, and uh, the other thing that Bruce Arian said, and I think this is something that, you know, it's a good idea, and I'm sure a lot of teams will probably do it 
Um, but I also believe that Brady, you know, the answer to every question with the Bucks is Brady. I think he's pushing for this too, is that um, they're going to have a couple inter-squad games under the lights at Raymond James um, before now and their opener September 13th at New Orleans. And, um, you know, they're going to, I mean, they're going to have everything, you know, the scoreboard, the, uh, I don't know if they'll fire the cannons or not. They usually do, but um, yeah, they're going to try to try to, you know, replicate. I'm sure that, you know, the coaches will probably be in the box and relaying things down on the headset and the whole deal. Cause uh, I think Brady, not only does he, you know, he want, you know, as, as many reps as he can get with live action. Um, and he's taking about 85% of the reps, by the way, uh, in practice as it is, they're preparing for new Orleans. This is not a training camp per se. They are, they're working to get to uh, the New Orleans game plan. Um, but I, I think he, you know, I think he wants to see it, you know, in, in the very venue he's going to be playing in. And they have several night games on national TV this year. So, uh, you know, get out of the heat. Another way to break the monotony of training camp as well without the preseason games. So, yeah, it'll be controlled and they're not going to hit the quarterbacks and things like that. But um, they expect to have a couple of those inter-squad games between now and uh, and the season opener. So that's that's something to look forward to as well. And the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, as we do this podcast, they're up 4-2 to two with two outs in the bottom of the eighth inning. Looks like looks like they may win, uh, what would this be, uh, five out of six, I believe, against the Yankees, right? They yeah. took three out of yes, four uh, at Raymond James. They won, of course, on Tuesday night. Um, and, and again, man, Brandon freaking Lau. This guy's an MVP candidate at this point. Uh, it's hard to argue. I mean, yeah, he absolutely is a candidate at this point. I mean, what, five out of six games he's hit a home run. He has not hit one tonight as we're in the bottom of the eighth right now. Right. But, yeah, he's absolutely an MVP candidate. He's leading the, or he's at the top of the league in several categories. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think back to, what was it, two years ago, that, or maybe it was last offseason. It's hard to these. The time is all messed up, especially when you start the baseball season. In July. <laughs> well, yeah, because because this season is last season. It yeah. seems like in most cases, yeah. Uh, but when they signed Brendan Lau right before the season began, to a six year, what was it, six year, twenty four million dollar deal, something like that. Yeah, it was kind of, was at like, the time. It seemed like a surprise, I was right? Like, what? Uh, you know, he was mm-hmm. pretty much in the minors. He, you know, I think he had a cup of coffee in the majors at that point. Right. Like, what? Right. What do they do? Hmm. But now you're going, okay, they knew what they were doing. I see it. <laughs> yeah, I see it. You know, it's funny because he's still a man without a position. Like, for all that he does at the plate, doesn't seem to affect him there, but they just really don't have, like, a, a locked-in uh, spot for him yet. No, I mean, he well, he's like everything else the Rays love is versatility. True. So, um, you know, the, the more places you can play, the more we can move you around, the more, you know, that that just means you're you're even better suited for the Rays, so. Uh, but he's, you know, last year, I mean, Austin Meadows was your offensive MVP, but Brandon Lau right now is, is who would be this year for sure. Yeah. And, and the Rays, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're gaining confidence, obviously. Um, you know, look, if they, if they take this game there, I think they're within a half game of the, of the New York Yankees. This road trip uh, has been remarkable for them so far. And, um, you know, when you beat, I mean, Garrett Cole, I don't think will get the loss necessarily. Um, no, no, he but, was Zach Britton was on the mound when they. But you the still, you know, I mean, I, I mean, you know, the Yankees had won ten in a row until Tuesday night when the Rays took him down, and then Garrett Cole's on the mound. You figure, well, you know, that's a tough guy to to walk out of there with a win, um, and and they may do it. Um, they got up two to nothing, and then was tied, 
pretty good performance. Um, I thought by Tyler Glass. Now I thought he bounced back pretty well. Yeah, no, I mean, Tyler looked really. I mean, look, you're going up against Garrett Cole, and you know by the time you get to the eighth inning, it's two two. Yeah, you done your job. You did yeah. your you did your job in that game, and and mm-hmm. you know including the offense getting to Garrett Cole, but Tyler Glass now kept you in the game going against one of the game's best. He did. You know, Very that's, that's, that's the yeah. that's the most important thing a pitcher can do. I mean, you talk about all the numbers you want, but as long as they've kept you in the game, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like you know Jack Morris was that guy. Mm-hmm. You know, if if, if his team <laughs> oh, scored Jack. his team scored three runs, he'd give up two. <laughs> That's if his right. team scored one, he'd give up none. If his team scored eight, he'd give up seven. It was like you know, it was incredible. He would, you know, give up one, one less run than what his team scored. He kept his yeah. team in the game at all times, and uh, you know, that's, the, that's, that's, one, that's, that's the, one of the great things of Jack Morris. That's the game, and and if he needed to pitch uh, nine, ten innings, he'd pitch ten innings um, in, in a World Series like he, game. Sure. Absolutely, like he, that's right. Like he did in the World Series. Hey, whatever it takes. Um, yeah, you won't see that very often or ever again, perhaps. So, yeah, I mean, great, great week for the Rays. I mean, hey, look, everything's everything's kind of looking up here. You know, the Lightning win their series. They, you know, they they bury their nemesis, Columbus, right? They, they're moving on. We're going to talk to Diana in just a second. We've got, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays taking down the evil empire at Yankee Stadium. No fans. That might help. Um, could win their five out of six against the Yankees. Be a half game back. And then you got the Bucks and Brady. Maybe we can have nice things, Steve. Maybe we can, just maybe. Absolutely. And USF's joining the Power Four conferences, according to Jeff Scott. So, you know. How about that? Yeah. How about that? So, man, what a time to be in Tampa Bay. Things could be looking up. Let's hope so. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, Diana Neros uh, joins us now. And uh, Diana, I, I have to start with the fact that uh, this was uh, a, a terrific series from the Lightning standpoint, I think, in, in that, you know, you go back a year ago and this was the Columbus team that swept them. And, and I think John Cooper said after the game it had been 422 days they had to think about it. In actuality, I guess John Romano says it was 491, but let's, let's not quibble. Um, so is this was this a feeling of revenge or redemption? And how far do you think uh, they'll get a boost from this? This was definitely redemption, not revenge. I don't think they ever felt like this is what Columbus did to them last year. This was how they failed themselves last year. Mm. Um, not to say Columbus didn't. Obviously, Columbus played great. But they were pretty focused on their own failings and where they had come up short and how they had not played the right way. And so going into this series, it was more redemption for themselves than getting back at Columbus. Um, You know, this wasn't a perfect series. Uh, I don't think you ever have a playoff series that's perfect because that's the playoffs. Um, So there were some things to learn from. I don't know that this is going to be some huge boost. It definitely is, um, you know, John Cooper said, uh, if you saw his fist pump after the game, then you you pretty much knew how he was feeling. 
And um, so they're definitely feeling some relief here. Um, but the goal wasn't to win one series. The goal was that they set everything they did this year was about setting themselves up for a long run. So uh, there's there's this isn't going to be something where they're like, oh, good. We, we beat Columbus. We got got over that hump. And, you know, that's the goal. So um, they're definitely feeling some relief, I would imagine. There are a lot of drinks being poured at Hotel X in Toronto right about now uh, as we record this after the game. But um, they're they're not ready to, you know, that wasn't the, the end-all be-all of anything right now. Right. And you mentioned, you know, the good moments and some bad. I mean, they had all of it, right, in this clinching game. Um, you know, they jump out to a 2 to nothing lead. Um, somehow the Blue Jackets who don't score a lot of goals, of course they had some some help with um, with penalties and whatnot. They rip off four consecutive goals. You think that's it, and then the Lightning come back uh, in the final 98 seconds, and, and, and then they force overtime and win it. Um, but what, what do you think they learned uh, from, from last year's series that helped them sort of overcome those the, that roller coaster uh, uh, that can happen in a series and, and in a game as it did – you know, as it did in the final game? Well, I think one of the biggest things that they took away from last year, uh, it had a few different, it was, they called it defensive responsibility and defensive habits when they started the season um, through the playoffs. John Cooper is referring to it as don't take from defense to give to offense. Um, they, I mean, I just can't, forget how Columbus scored that first goal last year. Um, I've seen a lot of goals scored between then and now, but that one sticks out of Ryan McDonough pinching in a bad spot. They were up three Oh and you know, this is a high scoring team. Why not go for number four in the first period? And instead it turns the other way and turnover breakaway goal. Um, and that was, you know, I've said it so many times, it feels so unfortunate that that's the epitome of the prime example of that uh, poor decision-making because Ryan McDonough is so good at the other side of the good decision-making there. It was an uncharacteristic move for him, but very characteristic for the Lightning. And that was a big thing. You know, these, these games were low scoring up until this final clinching game. Nobody had more than three goals to win a game. Um, you know, the Lightning weren't outscoring their problems the same way this year in this series either. I think that was a big thing. And I think just some of the voices they brought in, especially, obviously, Pat Maroon won the Cup last year. So he brings in some experience. But also just having some guys who were vocal leaders, like a Kevin Shattenkirk, who wasn't part of last year's loss. He obviously mm-hmm. knows all about it and he knows the psyche of this team feeling it but I think it was important to have some voices who weren't feeling that loss and I don't know that you know any one moment what either of them said changed everything but just to have a couple people who are around to kind of not feel it, not dwell on it, not think about it, say something that has nothing to do with last year's series or whatever, I think was, was pretty important for getting past it, whether it be I thought in it was the in- series or just the season overall. Right. I'm sorry to interrupt. I thought it was interesting that after the game, you know, I mean, they played a, a really 
bad second period. I mean, I don't know how else you would say it. They gave up a ton of shots. There was, you know, no zone time, all of that. Allow a goal, you know, with, what, 15 seconds remaining. Um, lose the lead and, 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 and so on. But, you know, I think it was Shattenkirk. Somebody said after the game that they got back to just being committed to the process of playing a certain way. And, and you know, to hell with the results, whether they won this game or had to continue on. That showed that showed a little bit of maturity too. Is that in that they, you know, they righted the ship when things were looking pretty gloomy there, and um, they they got back to being what they knew they needed to be. Yeah, um, miserable is my preferred term for that period because oh <laughs> boy was it bad. Um, but yeah, there was some measure of this game was not going to be the end of anything for them. This was not right. their final chance, right? And. Even if they lost this game but ended it on a high note, mm-hmm. let's say they didn't score that tying goal with a minute 38 left, but they still played those final 12 minutes the way they did, they might have been able to carry some momentum out of that. And that would make right. a big difference versus coming out where they had mm-hmm. just stunk in that second period. And if they had done that again in the third, that would make a big difference. Um, I kind of have to wonder about... John Cooper um, challenging that fourth goal. He really only likes to challenge when he's close to 100% that they're going to get it. And maybe they had different thoughts than I had, but I didn't think that that was near 100% chance that they were going to get it. And I kind of wondered if part of that was a, well, crap, being down four here is a lot worse than being down three, so let's just go for three, you know, see if we get lucky on this. Um, and part of it was also kind of a, I haven't given up on you guys kind of message. Mm. He didn't say anything to this effect, but you can see where that challenge can play in and not just saying, well, now we're down four or down two, we've given up four goals in a row and well, we'll just see you next game. Um, you know, I think by challenging that kind of created a spark and then they killed off that penalty um and that players pointed to that pk as um Braden point said that that penalty kill really spurred them through the rest of the game um you would think any of the five coming prior could have spurred them but you know hey at least the sixth one did it it's a great point and uh you know you wonder if uh they definitely gained some momentum out out of that penalty kill the other thing that I was thinking, Diana, I don't know if, if this is true or, or, or even just my own imagination, but it didn't look like Columbus was all that interested until the very end of that penalty in scoring. I'm not taking anything away from the Lightning, um, but they seemed content almost to, you know, take a shot if it was there, but if not, um, kill, kill some time. You know what I mean? Like they, they weren't as aggressive as I thought they could have been. Yeah, I think Columbus plays in a, with a lead the way the Lightning want to. Typically, yeah. they're very good about protecting their lead. They're not going for more goals. They're going for protecting their lead. Right. And clearly, it didn't work this time. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something my husband actually commented, you know, oh, I should turn it on once he heard they were up. And he was like, oh, actually, probably not, because once Columbus is up, their games don't tend to be that fun anymore. Right, right, And so, you know, that's kind of their style. And now given a power play, 
that's where you probably could have been, maybe should have been more aggressive and use that opportunity to go for another one. Um, but that is something that they are a team that protects leads more than dry, you know, goes for more blood to, right. to uh, add on. Yeah, that makes total sense. That is their style. So, you know, since uh, a year ago, a lot of things have happened in the construction of this team. You mentioned Pat Maroon, who, who's won a cup, and, um, you know, they trot out the stat. No team has won a Stanley Cup without somebody that's won a Stanley Cup. Um, but the new acquisitions, you saw all of this in the playoffs come come to fruition and, and, and really make a difference, I think, in whether it was Blake Coleman or Barclay Goudreau, uh, Zach Bogosian. So, I mean, not an accident that the way they – sort of got better was, was to find the right guys uh, to help them play the style they needed to play. Yeah, I think you really saw the impact of Coleman and Goodrow. And I just love, I love how they've come together so quickly. They were immediately put together on the PK mm-hmm. and were so dominant on that penalty kill. And sure, penalty killing is probably one of the places you need the least specific chemistry. It's a lot about positioning and, and playing that that style of play that they both do already play, but still to come together so well so quickly was impressive. And then they were by far the most consistent line oh, yeah. um, in this playoff series. And I think, you know, it's when you look at a trade, you look at what you gave up for, and each of them cost a first rounder. Um, plus, uh, Nolan Foote, who had been a first-round pick. So you could say three first-rounders. Sure. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot for two guys who are playing on your third line. But they added so much to this team. I mean, you don't win game four without them because they were mm-hmm. the only ones really doing much of anything. They right. escaped game four with a win courtesy of Barclay Goodrow, Blake Coleman, and Yanni Gord. Um and then also you think about that you're actually playing the, paying those three first rounders for a better shot at keeping all of your restricted free agents. Uh, may I say Anthony Sorelli, Eric Turnak, Mikhail Sergachev. Those are three players you don't want to do without. And by trading for Goodrow and Coleman, you've built a better playoff roster for this year and had added a couple cap advantageous contracts for next year when you're in an even worse position than you were last season. So right now we're focused on what they're doing in the playoffs, but you look at what those two ads in particular set up for this team, both in the playoffs and next year. And you start to think maybe there's a reason they paid that high price. Well, there's no doubt it's paying off, and, and, and you could see that in those games. And you're right, that, that line with Yanni Gord was sensational, as 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 was he. Um, the guy who is <laughs> – I mean, look, he was a great player. You see him make these goals. I mean, two overtime goals, the five-overtime game, of course, the clinching uh, goal as well. Brayton Point um, has just, you know, every game become a bigger and bigger player for them. I know Kucherov has made, you know, plays with him and the two of them are, are really humming together and so maybe a lot of that is Kucherov's brilliance as well but what did you make of of the series that Braden Point had 
I feel like I haven't fully digested the series that Brandon Point had because there were so many good parts to it. I need to just like go watch it all over again or something. He's one of those players that it's not just like, oh, he scored two overtime goals. That was impressive. He yeah. had three points today. He has seven points in the five-game series, and most of them came differently. You know, he banked a shot off of Anthony Sorelli's skate with a minute 38 left that Sorelli had to position his skate. I'm not saying he did nothing. Yeah. But that was, you know, he was going for a pass. I don't know if he was shooting for the skate versus stick or, you know, that he exactly saw the opening to bank off a skate. But just the, 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 to see the opening, you know, here's the thing. He plays with Nikita Kucherov. And Nikita Kucherov has some of the best vision I've seen in a hockey player mm-hmm. ever. Any of us have seen in a hockey player ever. And I think we sometimes discount Braden Point's vision because we're so caught up in Nikita Kucherov and fairly so Nikita Kucherov deserves a lot of the praise, all the praise for his vision, but it's easy to kind of forget that he's not the only one seeing these things and creating these things. And Braden point has shown some incredible decision-making incredible vision for how plays are developing. And we do, we tend to refer to, Braden Point's skating and Nikita Kucherov's vision as coming together to create things. But neither one of them is only those singular attributes. And Braden Point just showed off just all of the many things he can do. He, you know, had the hip surgery last offseason. He couldn't play the beginning of the season. And it's almost easy to forget that because A, it was forever ago. And B, we were all worried about his contract. But he missed the first couple of games of the season. And I never really thought of him as not looking healthy until I'm seeing him now and realizing how much better he looks. And like, oh, that wasn't Braden Point at 100%. That was Braden Point looking fantastic at whatever percent he was at. And now he's just so much better. I can't imagine that he could go out there and play even at the level he did a year ago coming off hip surgery, for goodness sakes, when so much of his game is is about skating and, and, and speed. Um, you know, Yanni Gord, I, I have to I have to mention him because, um, boy, that line, of course, with Coleman and Goodrow and him were, were, was terrific. But moving him to center, um, he just was that gnat that you wrote about that John Cooper said, that pest, um, you know, not never the biggest guy for sure, maybe one of the toughest. And when you have that line going, I mean, they're, they're a handful. They were a handful the entire series. And I think they brought the energy, didn't they, Diana? Absolutely, they did. You know, uh, John Romano wrote a, a great column on why Yanni Gord is the most lovable character on the Lightning. And if you had asked me to name the most lovable player, I don't know if I would have necessarily said him. But as soon as John did, I was like, well, duh. I mean, <laughs> who else would it be? You know, the way Yanni Gord played through a... Oh, uh, I forget the number now, like 35, 35 games, game I think. Yeah. Goal drought. And yeah. you know what? For half of it, you almost didn't realize he wasn't scoring. You knew mm. it. So you noticed when he was, you know, he couldn't catch a break, but the, he was still productive. If you took a goal scorer and gave him a 35 game goal drought, you'd be like, why is he on the ice? He's not doing anything. You right. never felt that about Yanni Gord. You, oh my God, there were so many things times it looked like this is the one and then it goes wide or the goaltender makes a save or whatever it was and so you felt that for him each time 
But it wasn't like, well, what's he doing? You know, he was creating chances for other players when he wasn't scoring himself. His at that point he was on the fourth line and they were setting up great chances for the first line. And that same energy and everything that was there making those chances is now without a 30 some odd game goal drought to make them try to, you know, try to um, balance out the drought with other things. He scored. Um, he scored a tipped goal, which, you know, he practices those tips a ton at the end of practice. And he's doing all of the other things that he was doing through that whole drought. And that line, there is so much energy in that line. And they're one of those, um, one of those that fits all of the stupid hockey cliches that you don't want to use. And then you find yourself using and you're like, they actually do that. Like, that's why the cliche exists is because of trios like that. Yeah, no, they were, they were, you could feel Yanni Gord in that line. <clears throat> it almost was as if they were playing all the minutes because when they were out there, they were making something happen. Um, a couple of things that didn't go as well, right, during this series that they will have to improve. Um, they struggled some on faceoffs, to say the least, uh, at times. And then, of course, they, they, they took more penalties than they got, that's for sure. And then when they did have the power play, uh, it wasn't as productive as certainly they're used to. So, uh, what do you think going forward will be the the recipe for for fixing those? Well, the one that concerns me the most is the penalties, because that was a problem all year. They came into training camp, the one that happened in September, not the one in <laughs> July, talking about needing to take fewer penalties. And throughout the whole season, it would pop up again and again. And then they'd be good for a little while. And then it would come up again. And I can't count how many times I tweeted during this series. Oh, stop me if you've heard this. They're taking too many penalties. And, you know, Braden Point doesn't take many minor penalties at all. I want to say he had like four in the regular season. Mm. I think. Some low number. And Mm -hmm. he had like three in the postseason already. Now, is he the biggest offender? No, but it's just an example of that. Even the guys who don't take penalties are taking penalties. And it's better when your power play works well, but your PK is going to just fail by the sheer number of penalties you're taking. You can have the best PK in the league. You're going to give up penalty, give up goals if you take six penalties in a game. That's just mathematically not going to be a thing. And they killed off. Well, technically they killed off five, but one was a goal second after a second. So I'm not counting that. So I'm going to say they killed off four out of six, which is pretty good considering, Mm. but don't take six. Don't give them all those opportunities. I think the power play needs to find its stride. I think face-offs, they're missing Stamkos some. Stamkos is very good at the dot. Even once he moved to wing, he became a good, um, alternate to Braden point. And there were certain times, you know, based on the position of the face off that he was taking it anyways. Um, but the blue jackets are very good at face offs and it's playoffs. Everyone's good at things, but I don't know. I'm just not as concerned about face offs because there are more ways to overcome it. Yanni Gord lost the face off on the play that then immediately became a goal uh, to start the second period in game four because he lost it. And I want to say Victor Hedman immediately corralled it and set them up. So there are ways to kind of overcome that. 
uh, the penalties are really the ones that concern me the most. And you just can't take stupid stick penalties. I know that he was there, uh, but not on the ice. Um, and that's probably uh, not a good thing. But is there any sense that um, Steven Stamkos might play in this next round, assuming that it, it's a few days before we get to it? You know, I this is one of the things that's a victim of this whole bubble and not being there and not um, having a good sense of it. I don't have a great sense of where he is right now. Um, right. When and the Lightning haven't actually, said anything, to be clear. They, they, they are not giving really any updates. Well, actually, what happened was when it was our Mary Fiello who... If somebody's going to get yelled at by John Cooper, it's me or Joe Smith. It's not Mary. <laughs> and Mary asked about a Stamkos update, and Cooper was not yelling at Mary. He was going to say this to whoever asked about Stamkos. And this was like a week ago or more now. And yeah. he said that he didn't want to be asked about Stamkos anymore. He would tell us when there was mm-hmm. news on Stamkos. Mm-hmm. So we have not gotten news on Stamkos since that. <laughs> um he claims he will tell us when the stamp goes start skating. And I don't know about your experience, but um, a coach who volunteers injury information without being asked might be the first that's ever happened. Um, so this is, it's hard in this format with this hub and this bubble. And, you know, I've talked to people around the organization, but they're just really mum on this right now. And so um, it's, it's really hard to get a good sense of what's happening with stamp right now. Uh, it might be a good surprise, or maybe they'll just have to continue on without him. Um, as we uh, do this podcast, uh, not too long after this uh, series victory, um, the Lightning are waiting. And, uh, and and if they have it their way, they'll get to wait a little longer, maybe. But um, we don't know who they're going to play. Tell us why, and, and, and tell us why it, it looks like it could be Boston um, maybe in the next round. So this year is different. Shocker, right? This year is different from other <laughs> years. Huh. Oh, it's different. Um, <laughs> so they're not following a bracket this year. Normally, they would finish one round and they could at least point to we're playing the winner of that series that's still happening. But right now, this year, what's happening is every round, the top seed plays the lowest seed. The next top, highest seed plays the next lowest seed. So we really need all of the series to finish to know what's mm. happening. If all of the teams who are currently leading their series, which would be, well, Boston uh, finished up and clinched. Philadelphia is playing as we are recording this. But if Philadelphia wins, they'll close out their series. And then on Thursday um, at 8 p.m., because games happen on deadline for reporters. That's just how life works. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Um, The Islanders and the Caps will play, and the Islanders have the lead in that series. So if the Islanders win and the Flyers win, then the Lightning will play the Bruins because the Flyers are the number one seed, the Islanders are the seven, so they'll play, and number two, Lightning, will play number four, Bruins. If the Flyers win and then the Capitals come back, then the Bruins play the Flyers, the Lightning play the capitals and if montreal beats the flyers the lightning play the montreal so there's a whole lot of ifs that could be decided in the next 24 hours or maybe they won't be and we just don't know (laughs) well whatever uh, it however it turns out it's going to be uh compelling stuff and um uh, i know this diana neros will be covering it for us for the tampa bay times and it'll finally be a playoff series that you can cover that won't involve the Columbus Blue Jackets or John Tortorella. <laughs> My so first one. That. 
That's <laughs> right. In two years. <laughs> it's it's about time. You get to write something besides those two names over and over again. Thanks, Diana. <laughs> we appreciate all the time. I'm always happy to do it. Thanks for having me. My thanks to Diana Neros, of course. And, uh, hey, folks, we're going to have uh, the always entertaining and very informative mailbag segment. If you guys want to submit your questions to us, we still have plenty of time for that. Uh, we'll be uh, doing that for Friday's podcast. So here's what you do. Go to Twitter and send us a question to at SportsDayTV. That's at SportsDayTV. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. For Steve Erstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Mm-hmm.